Good morning. Good morning. Glad to have you all here this morning on a nice, sunny Mother's Day. Um, we're here to, first of all, celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ, and secondly, to celebrate our mothers. Now, I hope that uh, today isn't the only day that you choose to celebrate your mothers or your wives or whatever the case may be, but uh, it's a good uh thing to have a reminder of uh, that, have it put in front of us to remember, yes, we need to celebrate our mothers and our wives. And we're going to do that today. We're going to start out with some singing. Um, First of all, a welcome to each one of you, those that are listening online, those of you that are visitors here for the first time. It is a pleasure to have you here with us. Um, For just a few quick announcements, our restroom facilities are straight back that hall to my left, and uh, afterwards we will be uh, serving a lunch. Uh, We'll also have a little bit of an intermission where there will be uh, coffee, tea, water, and some snacks back in the foyer. We'll be doing that after our little children's lesson. And then after the uh, service, there will be a meal that we'll have together and a time of fellowship, so please everybody stay and be a part of that. So um, we tend to do things a little different here from time to time on on Sunday mornings, as most of you know, but for those of you that are uh, new here, we uh, you you never know totally what you're going to get. It can get changed up, and uh, one of the things that we do is... uh, give our worship team a break, which is today. So uh, we are going to do similar to what we did a month or so ago and be uh, singing some songs. We'll have some backup music coming out of the speakers so that uh, you can sing along. We'll have words up there on the screen. Now, uh, I'd asked for feedback after the last time what they what people thought of it and if they enjoyed the singing and the, the four-part harmony and And I think people enjoyed it for the most part. Steve thought the songs were a little complicated for him, so I tried to pick out some easier ones this time. So we'll we'll see. I'll need some feedback again on that. Most of the ones I have today are are older hymns, but uh, at least that I've known for years, so hopefully uh, some of you will find them uh, recognizable as well. And you can always sing along. So uh, you can... Stand up if you want to stand beside somebody that, uh, you know, can sing well or sing the part well. Uh, feel free to, to move around if you want to. I'm not going to ask you to come up in the front like I did the last time, but uh, you can choose to stand, sit down, whatever, as you please. But I will ask you to at least stand for the first song, and you guys can take it from there. we got a simple chorus to start out with. Let me see if I can uh, pull that up. Unto thee, O Lord. Go ahead, Derek. Unto thee, O Lord. You guys are Unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul? Do I lift up my soul? Unto thee, O Lord. Unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul? Do I lift up my soul? Oh my God. Oh my God. 
They tend to sing a little bit faster. <laughs> Carrie's thinking a lot faster <laughs> than what we do sometimes. So uh, just keep that in mind and trying to uh, keep after that. Um, can you hear the music out of the speakers all right? You're able to follow along? All right, here's a familiar old hymn, If That Isn't Love. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. The ocean is 
I just, I love the word picture of that song, and I think I probably share this almost every time we sing that song. It was, it was one of my dad's favorite songs, and just the, the word picture of how we can, uh, it's, it's really unexplainable how we can look at the heavens, we can look at everything around us, and you see all these things, and if that, if that isn't love, what is? All right, let's go to the next one here. Here's fun one to sing. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I hope, and I hope this is your testimony this morning. And uh, if it's not, it certainly can be.
I think that's one that Steve knows. He was doing a little bit of a dance back there, so I think we hit on that one. <laughs> so what's our response to that, to that salvation, that glory that, that the Lord fills us with? What's our response? Do we keep it all to ourselves? What do we do? We share it. We spread it. We seek the lost. I have a song about that, too. I don't know if this one's quite as familiar. Uh, It's a song titled Seeking the Lost. Um, You know it, Carrie? Uh, It's got a nice little... What happened here? Um, It's got a nice little bass line on the chorus that uh, we'll need... uh, I don't know why it's wanting me to save this song, but apparently it does. Um, Talks about going out on the mountain. It gives kind of the picture of Jesus, the shepherd, seeking after that one sheep. He leaves the others in the fold. He goes afar on the mountain seeking the lost. You know that one, Carrie? Well, you're going to... You're going to find out. But since we have a, uh, since we have music accompaniment, if you don't, uh, if you don't know it, why, you'll learn it. All right, go ahead, Derek.
right, we got one more. You gonna help me sing one more? Not quite, and we get to have children's lesson. <laughs> I believe most of us know this one. Fill my cup, Lord. The woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy, and then I heard the Savior speaking from the light well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup. Kids, come on up here. 
Do you have anything, Carrie? No music? Okay, John, you can uh, come on up and... Uh, John is going to have the children's lesson for you. I don't think we have music planned for you guys today, but uh, unless John decides he's going to sing. <laughs> Hi, guys. Do you know what today is? Oh. Do you guys know who Daniel in the Bible is? What 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 is what's what do you know about Daniel? You forgot? How about you? Do you know about Daniel in the Bible? What do you know about him? Or do you just know his name? There you go, Daniel in the lion's den. That's the story I'm going to read you. Okay, so Daniel chapter six. King Darius recognized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer. All the parts of his realm. Over them were three vice regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice regents, who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with the Holy Spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal of skeleton or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, We're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we cook up something religious. The vice regents and governors conspired together and then went to the king and said, King Darius, live forever. We've convened your vice regents, governors, and all your leading officials and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. For the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional, as if written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. So King Darius signed the decree. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding everyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next 30 days, and anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king, written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and Persians. Then they said, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles ignores you, O king, and defies your decree. Three times a day he prays. At this the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. But then the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the lion's den. The king sealed the cover with his ring and the rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel, who closed the mouths of lions, so that they would not hurt him. I've been found innocent before God, and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. So, what is the lesson about Daniel? What did he do? He trusted in the Lord, and what else did he do? Yes. Yes, that's true. And he did something else. I'm looking for one very, something towards the end. Do you think that when Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, he could have been angry or mad at the king for trying to kill him? Well, he could have been. Do you think you would have been angry if someone tried to kill you? Yeah. Do you? Who wants to be eaten by a lion? Anybody? Yeah. No. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to. You know. No. Okay. Yeah. Right, Caleb. <laughs> so he could have been angry, but what did he say when the king came in the morning to see to see if he was still alive? He did say that too, but that's what did he say to the king for the king? He said, O king, live forever. Do you think if he'd have been angry or mad, he would have said that to the king? So, what I want you guys to remember, when someone does something you don't like or is mean to you or anything like that, if we pray and we ask Jesus to help us, we can still love them and we don't have to be mean back. We can just continue loving like Jesus. Okay? Okay, you can go back. Thank you, John. That was a good uh, lesson, not only for the kids, but for each one of us. So, As I mentioned before, we are going to have a little bit of an intermission, and there is snacks, coffee, water, juice, all kinds of good things out there. Um, we'll have about a 15-minute intermission here. Um, so, kids, listen up here. Remember what today is? Mother's Day. What do you think we should do when we go back there to uh, get our snacks and stuff? Do you think all the guys and all the kids should go first? No. Who do you think? Who do you? Mothers should go first. I agree with that. And you know what? We're going to give you two times to practice that today, both now for our snacks and at lunchtime. All right? Sounds good, doesn't it? All right. Uh, so we'll have about a 15-minute intermission. We'll come back for the sermon time, and I think there'll be some. Uh, Tributes to mothers mixed in there. I'm not sure what all Phil has in store for us there, but uh, go ahead and take a 15-minute intermission. Um, say thank you to all the mothers and uh, give them the honor to uh, get their snacks first, if you would. Go ahead. Where's Salomia? Can you come forward, please? Lucas and Blake. Right here's Blake. Where's Lukey? He is. Okay. And Salomia, is she outside as well? Blake, you can come a while. I volunteered these three to um, help me this morning. And they're going to hand out roses. They're going to take these apart and give one rose to every lady to celebrate Mother's Day. 
Okay, just a minute, Blake. We'll wait for uh, Lucas and Salamia to come, but you can hold yours a while. Okay, there you go. It's okay if the leaves fall, that's good. There's Salamia. Thank you. There's yours. Just wait on Lucas. Here comes Lucas. Perfect timing. Okay. Okay. You can just walk through. Okay. Each begin with your mother and then give every woman one rose, please. Thank you. As they do that, turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine garments, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. 
Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates of the church. Right? Of God's people. When he was talking about the gates, he was talking about the gates of Jerusalem where God's people dwelt. I want to go through the scriptures this morning with you and show you, dear sisters, dear ladies, and brothers, men, how important of a role that women played in the scriptures, both in the life of Jesus and in the life of the church when the Holy Spirit came down and men and women were born of the Spirit and became living spiritual household to God. We live in a world where women have become mere subjects of men's fantasies in the church. Pornography has addicted the souls of Christian men all through the church. Can you believe that? The holiness and the high calling of God that He has placed on you, dear sisters and women, and the usefulness He has created you to be in the church, the people of the living God, and in a world that is corrupted with sin. Satan has come into the hearts of men and bound them with the addiction of lust. All it, it causes me to weep as I see and hear what Satan has done. But it fills my heart with joy when I look in the Scriptures and I see the glorious creation that God has created for you, dear sisters, women, to be for His glory and to be for us men a helpmeet that we are miserable wretches without. Right, Jason? That we are broken without. Yeah. And when we give ourselves to the lust of the flesh and women become mere subject of that lust, our souls become broken. And it breaks our marriages. It breaks our homes. It breaks the church. It breaks the strength of the Holy Spirit and His glory over the church. It breaks us. And if you are there, dear brother, God has a message for you today. You can be set free. And you can look at the glory. And you can honor it as He does. It'll change your life forever. Well, I hadn't planned on saying that. But that's the word of the Lord. In Luke chapter 8, I want to show you, beginning in the life of Jesus, the wonderful ministry that women played early on as Jesus began his ministry. In Luke chapter 8, verse 1, And it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. 
and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. Who was Herod? Someone tell me. Who was Herod? He was the king of Israel at that time. Appointed by the Romans, but he was the king of Israel. His very steward. Oh, I love how the Lord robs the devil and uses the money to support his kingdom. Did you know that Jesus was supported by Herod's steward? His wife. Interesting, huh? Yep. And Herod's steward and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Now, do you call that a virtuous woman or not? Does that fit in the Proverbs 31? Oh, yes, it does. In the very life and ministry of Jesus, there these women, I don't know where the men were, they were probably out there making the money. That's how it often is in a world of America, Western culture like we live in. We men are too busy to support the kingdom of God. We, we got to make some money, don't you know that? Well, bless God for virtuous women who are wise and discreet and take some of that money and give it to Jesus. Give it to His work. Because we're so stingy. That's often how it is. That's how it was in Jesus. And Jesus accepted it. Wonderful. Secret, but powerful, supportive ministry of the women in Jesus' life. And they stayed with him all the way to the cross. Luke chapter 21. Sorry, Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 24. We'll begin actually in chapter 23. Chapter 23 of Luke. Um, there was a verse that I needed to find in the, and where the women were at the cross. But you can read it for yourself. I'll begin in verse 55. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfume. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day, chapter 24, verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Who were the first to witness the resurrected Jesus? Women. 
Where were the men? They were chicken. They were hiding behind locked doors, fearful for their own lives. They must have forgot that Jesus had said, on the third day I will rise again, over and over to them. But the women went. Why did they go? Someone tell me, why did the women go? Look at verse 56, 24, yes. To serve Jesus' body. They had served him all his living ministry life, but they didn't stop there. They continued ministering to his body, making sure the spices were put on, serving the body of Christ. And they got to witness the most powerful act of God on earth. The great salvation that still is a salvation for all men. Jesus risen from the dead. Don't ever underestimate, dear sisters, women, what you will witness in the body of Jesus Christ, the church, if you serve Him, whether it's through your private means or in a public way, as you minister to the body of Christ, you will witness the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as you minister like they did. And you'll be able to go tell the preachers about it. You will. They did. <laughs> now, verse 10, they were Mary Magdalene, she was still there. And Joanna, she was still there, the wife of Cusa. And Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Did you know we came to the grave? He's not there. He's risen. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. Uh-oh. The preachers thought these women words were nonsense how many times has a preacher told you that woman well this is your example they would not believe them but Peter arose thank God Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in he saw the linen wrappings only and he went away to his home marveling that which had happened the women left it right there they weren't ashamed and they weren't silenced by the apostles' unbelief. They simply said what they witnessed. The power of the resurrected Jesus. They were there. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us, when the Holy Spirit came down, the 120 came together in the upper room after Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven and told them to gather together and to pray and verse 12 of chapter 1 of Acts then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey away and when they had entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying that is Peter and John and James and Andrew Philip and Thomas Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphas, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. But they were not alone. 
along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The women were there. And when the Holy Spirit, keep reading, came down on those 120, they also shared with the filling of the Holy Spirit and with power. And they all prophesied, though Peter was the main spokesman. They all received the Holy Spirit alike. They were there. The women who had ministered in his ministry, who had witnessed his death at the cross, who had witnessed the power of his resurrection, they were still there. In Acts, going on into the future, in Acts chapter 16, and I love this story, because one of the most, my favorite portions of scripture is the book of Philippians and it's not because my name is Philip it has nothing to do with that it's because of who they were and it's because of God's amazing spiritual work in the church in a wicked evil city where the men were full of commerce if you look at the city of Philippi it was an old city that the Greeks had conquered. Philip the Great's father had conquered the city and the Romans inherited it and took it on and it became a very popular city of commerce. Rich and busy industrial place. You can read the history about it. And Paul comes along with Silas to preach the gospel. And Paul is trying, you can look at verse chapter 16 of Acts, in verse 6, and in verse 7, he's trying to go to different places. He and Silas and his team. Verse 6, and they passed through Phariagin and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Don't go there, the Holy Spirit said. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing through Mysia, they came to Troas. And in a vision, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And immediately, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out, and they, they sailed over to Macedonia, a Roman colony. We were staying in this city for some days. Now listen to this. And on the Sabbath day, they didn't go to the synagogue. They were kind of through with that, because they had gone to the synagogue city after city. And what had the synagogue done to them? The church? They were done with going to the religious professional church, because they just casted them out. They threw them out. They persecuted them, beat them. They refused to hear them. So Paul says, what are we going to do this Sunday? Okay. So we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Who was praying in this industrialized city? The women. And Paul went because he heard there was a place of prayer and he finds a few women. 
And there God began the church of Philippi with a few women who were praying. Oh, did you know, dear sister, through your prayers, God will build his church? He will. He did and he does. Don't ever think your prayers are in vain. Your prayers will build your husband up, will strengthen and save your children. It will build a church. And a preacher will find you. An apostle praying. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness to it. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, and they stayed with her for many days. A woman's hospitality gave room for the apostles to work from, a place to stay, because a woman opened up her heart to the Word of God, was baptized. The first convert in Philippi was a woman and her household. I don't know where her husband was. It doesn't say. But she and her household were baptized. It continues on. The next person in the next few verses as you read to be delivered from evil spirits was another woman who was a slave of trade and sex to men and was demon-possessed. And the Holy Spirit saved her soul and baptized her. And then later, the jailer and his whole family. And as you go through the book of Philippians, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, you will notice that Paul recognized these people. They were still there in the church. And I don't believe that the women governed the church. I do not believe that it is a woman's place to preach in the pulpit or to govern the church. And I'll tell you why. Paul begins the church at Philippi, the letter there addressing the church. And then he says, including, verse 1, the overseers and deacons. And the reason we believe that here in the church is because of Paul's clear instruction in other places. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'll, I'm going to go a little bit on a, on, a, on a side trail here to establish this for you. So also, not to discourage you women, but just to give us some direction and clarity. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, verse 8, oh, this is a good one. Because if this had happened, wow, can you imagine what had happened early on in the church of Philippi? But God wasn't hindered by prayerless men. And God is still not hindered by football dads. He's not. If all you care about is sports, and sports is your God, and you come to church to pay your tithe and say your amens and smile and pat people in the back and talk about sports or your work, and you go home and can't wait to turn the TV on to watch the next game, I guess what? God's going to build his church without you, man. He'll do it through your wife and her prayers. 
But God does want men to pray. Verse 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. In Titus chapter 2, he gives further instruction. An encouragement to you sisters. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and in love and in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. However, when he says that he wants the women to be quiet, I do not believe that the woman comes into a church and zips it, says nothing. And we receive instruction from the Scripture, clear teaching, by taking Scripture with Scripture. And that's what I want to do with you this morning here, to show you from the Word of God the balance of this teaching. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, actually beginning in chapter 11, we read this. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, which is Christ. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying, speaking, this is in the context of the church. Later on he says, while you meet together, when you're meeting together. So that's in the context of us coming together. And a woman is prophesying, encouraging. Later on in chapter 14, he says that one who prophesies is one who encourages someone, who builds them up and who comforts them. That's the definition of prophecy in the New Testament. It's not fortune-telling like you see in some churches. No, it's a personal word that builds them up, that encourages and that comforts people. And she comes to pray in the church setting. The man, while he does it, preaching to you, takes his hat off. 
That's what I do. That's why I don't preach with a hat. Now, some people have different interpretations of this. And in this church, we allow for that. Because I see through the history of the church various different interpretations of this scripture. And Paul is quite clear after he teaches it, we have not given this teaching to be divisive. And so we allow it as a personal conviction of each home, husband and wife, coming before the Lord, asking the Lord for direction on this. And God bless you, let you be fully persuaded in your own mind and receive that conviction from the Lord and be free in the church. Only in order. For me personally, my personal conviction is I can't wear a hat when I come in the church. I feel like it would disgrace my head, Jesus Christ. I take it literally. So my hat comes off when I preach or pray or prophesy when God's people gather together. Verse 5, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, her husband. For she is one and the same with her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. That's why my wife wears a hat when she comes to church, and we pray, and we sing. Now, I'm not a legalist. Sometimes she forgets it. Other times, just, you know, for whatever reason, she doesn't wear it. It doesn't hinder the Holy Spirit's work in her life or mine or in the church. The Lord is giving us to us as a principle. He does not say in this scripture, he that doesn't do it just like this shall have no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Like he does in Galatians chapter 5 or in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, those who live in willful sin of adultery and fornication and covetousness. He, he mentions very clearly sins unto death. This is not one of those. This is a principle of God's glory that He gives us individual convictions to live it out in freedom and love with each other. Freedom with Him and love for each other. And that's why we have at the church this Wonderful principle and glorious freedom, but also the clear teaching of God's Word. Because it's not about a cloth on your head. It's about a spirit. It's a frame and a spiritual heart and a frame of mind. And I'll show it to you. This is what the Holy Spirit looks on. Like Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees who were legalists in His day, you look on things as though they are outward. And Apostle Paul said that to the church at Corinth. You look on things as though they are outward. All you see is the clothing and the hair. And many churches get all wrapped up and tangled and divide over these kind of outward things. And I think it causes the Holy Spirit to weep over his people. Because he looks on the heart. And he sees those women who are praying. And he bears witness to it. And he's answering their prayers. He's making intercession for the saints through those women. They are the backbone of the church. While the women, while the men are uncovered in the church, but their hearts are far from it. Their hearts at the next football game. Come on, preacher, sit down and be quiet. Don't you know the game starts at 12 o'clock? 1 Peter chapter 3, 
tells us very clearly that this is a spiritual issue, a heart issue. 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair or wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. He's not saying don't put on any dresses or don't put on any jewelry. Don't walk around naked. Put on some dresses, please. Right? He's saying don't let that be your distinctive clothing, but be clothed, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. God honors that spiritual woman and he works the power of heaven through you. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. This is the only time in the scripture that Sarah is lifted up as an example to you women. Did you know that? Where is Sarah an example? When she laughed? When God promised her a son and then lied about it? No. So what's he talking about? You know, there were two occasions when Abraham, the example and called the father of all those who believe, an example of faith, all through the scriptures, chickened out and really badly mistreated his wife. When they went out into the desert, left their homeland, he told Sarah, who was a very pretty woman, the scripture says, hey, when we get into these wicked, unknown lands, we don't know, there's probably no fear of God in these places. Tell them you're my sister, or else they'll kill me. Because you're beautiful. And so to save his own life, and he actually did it twice, and she did it, both to the king of Egypt and to the king of the Amalekites. Fortunately, God was still God. And he wasn't limited to Abraham's fearful unbelief. You know what he did? Sarah obeyed Abraham and said, okay, he's my brother. And the king took her and was going to take her for his wife. And what happened? Did Sarah freak out? No. Who, without being frightened by any fear? That word frightened is she did not panic. And boy, she could have. Wouldn't you have? I wouldn't have blamed you. Or her, she would have. But she didn't. Guess what she did? She prayed to her father in heaven who was greater than her husband's fear. And what happened? Both times, God came in a dream and warned that king, if you touch her, you are a dead man. And so are all your people. And the king was like, oh, give her back. Who protected her? Not her husband. God, are you willing to take that risk, dear sister, with anything that your husband fails you in, in unbelief, 
or in disobedience to the word. That's the context. Whose husbands do not obey the word. That's your example. Prayer will not only save you, it'll save your husband. And Abraham repented. He only did it twice in his whole life. That was it. He learned his lesson. He had a praying wife who trusted in God. And I'll tell you, the power of your prayers. I've been there. I've been in Abraham. Haven't you been, men? Has there not been a time in your life when either you were taken up with commerce, some business plan, or, or you were carnal? In some way, you made a fleshly decision. And you knew your wife disagreed with you. It's good to be honest. I don't think Sarah went and said, okay. I think she probably had a conversation about this with Abraham. But she, in the end, she submitted. And in the end, when you pray, it causes us men to tremble. And it enacts the power of God on your behalf and on your family and in the church. I wanted to give you that as an example. The power of prayer. The power of a praying woman has built the New Testament church. Now going to Philippi. In Philippians, oh, I love this. Paul acknowledges these women still in the end of Philippians. You know, the book of, the, the one reason I love the book of Philippians and the church there is there were two things that you'll find one missing and one prominent in the church. The prominent, most notable thing about this church was not the absence of sin, though it wasn't there that Paul corrected. There's not one correction for this church. Almost every other letter that Paul writes, he had a corrective word for the church, but not this one. Why do you think? I think it's because somebody was praying. They were still there, praying. Maybe not by the riverside anymore. Maybe by the riverside. And the other thing they were doing, the notable thing that Paul says to them, Philippians chapter 4, he says, verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both of having an abundance and suffering need. That's a secret, by the way, that we need to learn, every one of us. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And listen to this. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church, no, none other church, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. They were the only church that supported Paul. Those women supported him, just like those women supported Jesus. These women supported Paul's ministry, both in prayer and in financial need. 
No other church did it. For even in Thessalonica, you sent the gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. The only correction Paul had for this church, there was one, but it was on an individual level. The first of chapter 4, he says in verse 2, I urge Eudodia and I urge Syntyche, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, to live in harmony in the Lord. These were two women who apparently were having a little disunity in the church. And Paul said, I'm begging you, live in harmony. The only correction in the whole letter. In Romans chapter 16, Paul talks about the women in Rome and the church in Centria. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in, at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life, they were husband and wife team, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And also greet the church that is in their house. And then he continues, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. And he continues to greet all these different folks and many women are there also. And so I share this word with you, dear brothers and sisters, dear sisters and brothers. God has a a purposeful, powerful plan for you. Don't let this world demoralize you. Don't let this world underestimate the power and purpose for you and your life in the church of Jesus Christ. You sisters played a significant role in the physical ministry of Jesus while on earth and continue to do so in the spiritual body of Jesus Christ all throughout the ages of the church until he comes again. I believe God is looking for women who will pray and be given the hospitality, who open their hearts. Supportive women, a very significant, powerful, foundational role in the home and in the church. Read church history. Have you ever read about Madame Guillaume? Any one of you? Jean Guillaume was a French woman who lived back in the 1500s. A praying woman. She was a wife of a very rich count in France. Ungodly man. She found the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal savior. She began to pray. And as she began to pray, the Lord began to show her ways she can support the needy. She began to take her rich husband's money and give it to the poor, just like the wife of Cusa. She found her example. And as she ministered, she began to share and encourage 
And many, many souls were brought to the Lord Jesus Christ through her ministry. Eventually, the church, the Roman or French church, didn't like much what was going on. And they imprisoned her. And in prison, she wrote a book. A book that changed my life. But not only my life. The lives of many. William Watchman Nee. You remember Watchman Nee? Changed his ministry back in the 1920s. A Chinese preacher. C.T. Studd, a preacher in England, changed his ministry. Andrew Murray, in the 1800s, changed his life. And on and on and on, you can read through church history, the book that she wrote while spending 20, uh, 20 years isolated in a French tower. I pointed it out to the boys when we were there in Paris. For 20 years. She wrote this book, Experiencing the Depth of Jesus Christ. You should read it. And to this generation, that woman's prayers and writings are still changing lives. And I'm preaching to you about it today. Do you think she's seen that? Hundreds of years later, people would still be preaching about the life of Jesus Christ in me, this nobody woman? Don't underestimate the power of God and what He wants to do in you as His vessel if you'll yield and surrender to that power. And you, like Sarah, will trust in God when men in your life fail you. And God will build His church through you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would come you would honor our mothers and wives in our life. And every sister in this place, whether she's a young girl, and you would cause us men to obey your word in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding way, giving honor to them. Oh, deliver us, Lord, from the power of seductive, baseless lust that this world has yielded themselves to and merchandised. Deliver your people today. Deliver us as a church. Deliver every young man. And restore with dignity and honor and grace and eternal life into the soul of every woman and every man to honor and stand in awe of your created wisdom and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Dave, would you close the service? I'll just open it up. If anybody wants to pray for Rachel, uh,
Uh, it sounds like this is um, doctors giving a very short time to live. Uh, said she breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I just pray uh, rest your hand upon her, your family. Lord, just give her peace in, in her heart. And Lord, I just want to commit her into your hand, Father. Lord, I just pray that your will be done. And just be with her family, husband, and children, whoever, Lord. Uh, just draw them close to you. Help them to feel your presence. Yes, Anybody else? I want to thank the Lord for my wife, mother, and certainly uh, her day. I just have to take the her because she is that virtuous woman that I'm so thankful for. I've said this story before, but I'm going to repeat it again. I remember soon after we got married, we went to the Adventist and came. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I think this might be the first check I ever wrote out, maybe the second time. But I was stumbling around with this and my wife
Okay, if not, why don't we all stand and we'll have a closing uh, prayer and a uh, blessing on the new meeting. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our mothers, our grandmas, and Lord, and our spouses. Lord, I just pray a special blessing on them. Lord, uh, just help them all to know the, uh, the power of prayer uh, and the anointing you've given our, our wives. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the food that has been prepared. Just pray life to our bodies. Father, and uh, we can receive the nourishment to honor glorify you. Bless our afternoon. Lord, I just pray that our, um, our time together be edifying to you. And just commit this day to your care. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed.